My subject this morning is trusting through it all. There were many themes that were delivered at the 78th International General Assembly for the Church of God. And there are, it will take probably weeks for me to process the majority of them. But one thing that became clear to me, as we especially as believers try and continue to navigate the climate that we're in, how many are in agreement that you understand in American culture, this is not the 1950s. It, 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 it just isn't. And we're faced with challenges that many of us thought we'd never see. And one of the things that just kept coming over and over to me was that no matter what we face, we need to trust God. Yes. Trusting him through it all. Matthew chapter 13, I'll begin reading in verse number 24. Another parable he set forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you? Did you not sow good seed in the field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servants said to him, do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, no. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Trusting through it all. The story that precedes this in the Gospel of Matthew is the story we looked at a couple of weeks ago in the parable of the sower. There the theme was the expectation of fruit in the life of the believer as the seed is planted and Jesus went through different things that get in the way. Here, Jesus addresses an age-old question. Why do bad things happen? Don't look at me so pious. Each one of us has asked that question. Or more directly and personally, why do they happen to me? After all, if I live right, if I follow the scriptures, if I do my best to create an atmosphere of joy and peace, if I avoid all kinds of the nonsense that the Bible says to avoid, won't that mean that I'll be able to just live without all the things that happen? When something bad happens, we seem to land in a couple of predictable places. Although it was over 20 years ago, I still remember some of the images and the impressions of people after 9-11. There were a lot of why questions. Even within the church at that time, there were a lot of not only why questions, but where questions in that where was God? More close to home as we've dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic over the last two and a half years and 
even closer and more recent, we deal with, oh, it seems every time we turn on the news, there's another mass shooting or one especially that involves children in schools. Of all the emotions that center on these tragedies, I think the one that hits us most as Americans is shock. Not only how could this happen, but we still look at things, how could this happen here? How could this happen to us? We have a mindset that really and truly believes that we can avoid evil in life. And I'm going to lay out a case at how that mindset is foolish. Now, I want to make a distinction from the very beginning. Avoiding evil is a very different thing than avoiding the consequences of stupid choices. You can totally avoid the consequences of stupid choices. Don't make them. But in our creation within our culture, over many, many years of the American dream, we've given this ideal of nice, good, almost a perfect existence. Is it real? And even beyond whether or not it's real, is it where God wants us to be? I want to lay some groundwork. John chapter 17, verse 15. Jesus says, as he's looking over his disciples, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Think about that verse. Let it sink in. The world is an evil place. I know that was just so profound. We don't follow the world because it's an evil place. But here Jesus is not praying that we should be taken out of the sphere of the world. He is not praying that we should be isolated or prevented from having any contact with the world. Jesus is not praying that you and I should be untouched by the world. And he is not praying that you and I should avoid any paths crossing with the world. Jesus prayed, don't take them out. Just keep them from joining or getting too close to the evil one. I tend to believe that if Jesus prayed something, it's possible. If Jesus prayed something can, uh, to happen, then it can happen. In this walk with the Lord, you and I will encounter all that this world has to offer. In this walk with the Lord, you and I will experience people who make bad choices. And the reality is you and I will experience it firsthand because we'll be one of them. You will see expressions of right and wrong, being confused. I don't think I need to go too deep into that one. We live in a time where right and wrong is just flipped on its head. Which means in all of that, which it can sound kind of depressing, but you and I will be given the opportunity day after day to have an impact and have an effect in the lives of those who need it most. So before diving into the passage, I need to realize, and we need to realize, what our mission field is. It's everything you see when you open your eyes. The world is God's mission field. 
And this is where we need to be working. This is where we need to be equipped to reach the lost. We need to be able to translate the word of God for the world. They don't understand peace that passes understanding. They don't understand love without selfish or self-centered requirements. They don't understand joy in the midst of trouble. And they definitely don't understand joy that produces strength. So you and I get this wonderful opportunity to be translators. Now, I've traveled to seven different countries as a short-term missionary teacher and preacher. And in every single case, I did not speak the native language. So I prayed to the Holy Spirit for what I needed to be able to say. I prepared messages. I prepared lessons. I prepared teachings. And I got to every country and said, where's my translator? Because every single thing I prepared would have been meaningless unless I had a translator. In fact, I still remember the first night that I was in Indonesia, now 22 years ago. And I got to preach in front of a group of preachers, 400 of them. I'd rather preach to 10,000 normal people than to 400 of my own peers. <laughs> but I got to the hall where we were meeting, and I was introduced to my translator, and I asked him, what's your name? And his English was a little broken, and he just said, friend of God. Wow, what a, what a name. That, that's a great name, I guess. And then he caught the surprise in my eyes, and he said, no, my name is Abraham. Ah, uh, I know what you were trying to do. Okay, yeah, I'm there now. And we went over my notes. I went over different themes I was going to touch on. And then when we got out to the service and I got up to preach, I would preach, then he would translate, then I would preach, and we went on. I have no idea if they were blessed by what I said. They were tremendously blessed by whatever he preached. We need to be able to translate the gospel. And we can't translate into an environment that we have absolutely no knowledge of and no experience with. I have three main thoughts as we go back into this passage. Because it talks about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God here on earth, for us, there is no insulation. It says, while men slept. Now, I want us to realize we need to keep ourselves on guard. There's never a time for loose living. Never a time for, well, just this one time, because that one time might be your last time. But verse 26 says, when the grain sprouted up, so did the tares. Or in many of your translations, it might say the weeds. Haven't you noticed as a believer that just when victory comes, so does the enemy. Just when the breakthrough comes, so does the enemy. Just when deliverance comes, so does the enemy. They come together. Jesus' response to every situation in life is that he has one. No matter what you and I go through, no matter what we experience, Jesus has a response, an answer to every situation in life that we face. But the reality is, so does the enemy. Being a child of God does not insulate us from this. In fact, 
and I'm sure many of you have experienced this, being a child of God doesn't insulate us. It makes us a target. That when we get blessed, the enemy looks our way. When we begin to step out in faith, the enemy looks our way. When we begin to stand bold and firm on the word of God, the enemy looks our way. If you don't want the enemy looking your way, you picked the wrong faith system. We're going to see the joy that God can bring. Jesus will make sure of that. And we're going to see the pain and the difficulty that's in our life today. The enemy will make sure of that. We should not be surprised that we find the enemy moving in places where God is pouring out his spirit. He has no need to send his, his uh, people to places where God's not doing anything. But where God is moving, where God is healing, where God is saving, where God is taking his word and planting it deep within us, the enemy says, I got to get there and see if I can turn this upside down. In the kingdom of heaven, there is no insulation. In the kingdom of heaven, there is no isolation. In this story, the servants look at the owner of the field and say, should we fix this? After all, there are weeds out there. That's not what we planted. And the master said, no. Leave them be. In the processing stage, if they went out to fix them, they might accidentally take out the good wheat with the bad wheat. And that phrase that has just been in me all week, he's, Jesus said in telling the story, let them grow together. Obviously, the master was not concerned about the effect of the weeds on the actual pure wheat. Ultimately, growing weeds should not affect pure wheat. You have a question about someone's true commitment or whether or not the seeds are taking deep, there's a way to check that out. Let them grow. If there's any concern about someone's face, let them grow. If we're trying to discern purity within our own hearts, let them grow. We live in a world that is evil. But when it comes to evil in the world or the deeds of evil people, don't expect God to insulate or isolate us from it. Expect God to put us right in the middle of where all this is going on. Now, we take a different approach. I understand this, and I have felt it myself when raising our children. We try to shield them the best we can. We don't want them to experience bad things or painful things. But there comes a time when they need to understand that there's a real world out there. And sadly and unfortunately for so many Christian young people, the first time they experience that is when they go off to college which is a really bad time for them to experience the first time that the world is real out there. They need to understand the realities. They need to understand life is not a fairy tale. We want them to have things we didn't have, and that's good as a parent. We want them to have opportunities we didn't have. We want them to be able to experience joys we didn't. But in 
Wanting to give them things we didn't have, let's never forget to give them things we did have, like a solid foundation, like an understanding of God's word, like we were able to move forward because we knew that God was bigger and greater than any evil out there. Because this world wants our children. But this is not just with children. I've heard it so many times over the course of my walk with the Lord. This idea that when someone new comes to the Lord, we want to protect them somehow. We want them to come into the fellowship of believers or come to become part of a church. And let's kind of keep them to the side. So they don't experience any issues or problems. Let them experience heaven before they begin to experience the realities of being with normal people. The moment they got saved, we need to realize that they got the enemy's attention, whether we try to hide them or not. Pastor, do you want people to experience hard times? No, of course not, but this isn't about what I want. There are things out there that provide hard times. But haven't you noticed that's when you grow? We grow in hard times. That's when we learn to trust him. That's when we learn to that he is greater than the things we don't understand. I don't know why school shootings happen. But whether they do or not, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I don't know why Christians fall away. But whether they do or not, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I don't know why everyone I come into contact with on my secular job or in the marketplace or anywhere in the world, I don't know why they don't admire my Christian faith. But whether or not they like it or not, I'm going to trust in the Lord. There was a time when if you said you were a Christian, people would be like, Oh, nice. That's cool. They probably wouldn't say cool, but they would say nice. Now, I'm a Christian. Hmm. You're one of those. Got my eye on you. I don't care how people look at my faith. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And for how long will we have to deal with this? It brings to my third point. Because he says in the kingdom, it's until harvest time. Christ will work his will and Christ will separate the wheat from the tares. Since I know Jesus will separate the wheat from the tares, church, I don't need to. I need to be in the world, not of it. I need to be an overcomer, which means I'm overcoming something. I need to be in a place where I can stand for the Lord, where he's not being lifted up. Jesus will perform his work at harvest time. But for us, this requires trust. I trust God to take care of every situation. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of what I preach. 
it doesn't matter what the world thinks of what I say. It doesn't matter how they classify the, the stands I take. I will trust in the Lord. I will trust him to provide for my family. I will trust him to provide direction for my children. I will trust him to provide power to overcome. I trust him. I trust God. And trusting God, and I fear some in our society, especially in our country, have this mindset that trusting God somehow is like the game show, let's make a deal. And I know I just dated myself. Because <laughs> people under 40 have no idea what the game show, let's make a deal, was. I'll trust you, Lord. So since I'm trusting you, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to come through for me. You need to provide in this way. How many realize that Jesus has already done enough for each and every one of us? Our sins have been forgiven. The blood has washed us white as snow. We have a Savior who has overcome sin and death and the grave. And we have an appointment in heaven one day. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I trust him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, a verse I'm sure you know very well. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I don't have to fear anything that the world does. One of the major themes that every preacher at each night service at General Assembly kept talking about is how the church in general has seemed to shrink at the society's pressures about what we say and what we stand for. My comment to society is bring it on because I'm going to stand for what the word of God says when it comes to marriage, when it comes to life, when it comes to identity. I trust God. We need to trust in his truth, even when we don't feel it. Like our brother Lou was saying, do we trust him? Which means in many of the situations that we have in life, we need to let them go. We say we trust him, and then we spend the next six months trying to figure out how we can fix it. Let it go. We need to trust him and his truth, even when we don't see things happening. We need to trust his truth when others mock or criticize. This world is, is just saturated with the mindset of, it's about how I feel. I shared the experience of when I umpired baseball and the, it happened many times of my being behind the plate and a young 11-year-old would come to the plate in a big situation and he would be there with this real determined and mean look on his face, as mean as an 11-year-old can get. And, he would, and it happened over and over again. He'd get into the batter's box and three pitches came straight down the middle of the plate. He never took the bat off his shoulders, and I had the joy and privilege of calling him out. <laughs> and people would say, didn't you feel bad? Not in the least. 
I tell you who did feel bad, grandma who was sitting behind the backstop. And she let me know how, he fe- how she felt. You hurt my baby. Tell your baby to take the bat off his shoulders. But this week, I'm thinking about that example I've used often, and it dawned on me. When a pitch is thrown by the pitcher, and it comes right down the middle of a plate, within the confines of the batter, it's a strike. That's the rules. That's the truth. And what she was saying is she wanted feelings to be more important than truth. And we live in a culture today that wants that for every situation. How we feel should be more important than what the absolute truth is. I'm sorry, Grandma. Strike three. Your boy had to go sit down. Now, we want to be compassionate. We want to help people take the bat off their shoulders. We want them to know there is a victory they can experience that goes beyond whatever their feelings can teach them. John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, trust in me, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you ever sit with a group of Christians? This used to be something that was done many years ago. And just share with each other the promises of the Bible. It's an amazing thing to go through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and just read one after another the promises of the Word of God. In all the times I've been in groups of Christians like that, this promise has never been quoted. No one's ever said the promise of Jesus in this life in the world, you will have tribulation. No one's ever said, amen. (laughs) But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't save us so we could hide, so we could go off in the side and not be seen. So, Pastor, you're saying we should just surround ourselves with darkness? We don't have to work at that. Darkness is all around us. But it's not that we want to avoid being surrounded by darkness. It's that you need to be the light that exposes the darkness, that shines into the darkness, that shows the darkness there is something else. Jesus didn't save us so we could avoid dealing with the nonsense that's all around us. You and I are overcomers, which means we're going to have to overcome stuff. Things that without Jesus, we wouldn't overcome. Psalm 37, wonderful Psalm of David. Do not fret because of evildoers. I need to stop there. You know, it's great when the word of God just kind of preaches itself. Do not fret because of, because of evildoers, nor be envious of workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord 
and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wickedness schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. We have a God we can trust in. Verse 3, trust in the Lord. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. Verse 9, wait on the Lord. You know, honestly, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, is becoming easier and easier because the world has nothing to offer. Absolutely nothing to offer. We wait on him because we trust him. You know the verses from Proverbs 3. Verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. I don't know why I've ever had to attend a funeral of an infant. I don't know why I've ever had to attend the funeral of an 18-year-old who took her life. I don't know why I've ever had to sit with a faithful wife whose husband walked away. I don't know why any of that. This world is messed up. And sometimes even his people are messed up. But no matter what, I'm going to trust in the Lord. No matter what the situation, no matter how long it's been going on, no matter how close the people are to me, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed and focused on him. Because trusting in the Lord and waiting in the Lord and delighting in the Lord and committing my way to the Lord is the only way I'll ever be able to rest in the Lord. For those who wait upon the Lord, wonderful things happen. For those who give up on the Lord, not good. No matter what happens to this economy, I'm going to trust in Jesus. No matter what choices people make about their lives, I'm going to trust in Jesus. No matter what the next disease is coming down the road, I'm going to trust in Jesus. No matter what other churches embrace and claim, well, we didn't understand the Bible correctly. We need to invite, no, I'm going to trust in the Lord and in his word. Aren't you glad that the word of God is more powerful than social media? It's not even a fair fight. My word. 
I remember one thing that the general overseer of the Church of God, Dr. Timothy Hill, said toward the end of the week to the pastors who were there. He said, go on social media and proclaim the word. Don't worry about whether or not someone likes or doesn't like you. Because even if they say like, it's really not that they like you. It's this social media thing called like. And I'm thinking, how shallow some are that their whole identity is based on this superficial mechanism called likes. I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust in the moving of his Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust in the power he gives in any situation. But as our brother shared earlier, trusting in the Lord means giving away. We have such a half-hearted idea about trust. Well, I trust you, sort of. And I get it. So many of us have been hurt by people. So our ability to trust has been challenged, has been deepened in some way that we have issues with that. And that is normal given some of the trauma many people have been through. But no matter what, God is worthy of my trust. He has taken care of me. He has blessed me. It was good to be in San Antonio to be reminded of where I was about 14 years ago when I lived there for three months because I needed to trust God to provide for my family. And as I've shared, the three months I was there was July, August, and September. Now, I've shared, had I been sitting on the throne, I would have put me there in three very different months. But I trusted God, and he provided and he blessed me. Isn't that your testimony? That God is worthy of your trust? But since he is, church, let's give ourselves to him. Let's give ourselves away. There was a song we sang at one of the services that just has been ringing in me ever since, and we're going to sing it in a minute. I, I went and got the chords for it. We're going to share it together. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. My life is not my own. To you, I belong. I give myself. I give myself to you. What was it John said when they came to him and said, you know, there's this guy, Jesus, and he's kind of copping some of your time and popularity. He must increase. I must decrease. Got way too many eagles in the world today, and sadly, too many in the church. But I need to give myself away. Stand with me, please.